Well, we're continuing, well, actually, we're finishing our standout series today. And throughout this series, we looked at all different stories through the Bible of people who stood out uh, to their peers for Jesus Christ, that they sh- shined a light to their community uh, for God, and they stood up for what was right. And as we finish it out today, uh, we're going to look at, at two different people that are found in uh, the, the New Testament. Uh, same story, but two different people. But before we do that, I want to just share with you uh, just uh, when I was a baby, when I was born, uh, I had a pretty bad skin. And by the age of one, I had already been in hospital, hospitalized three times because of skin rashes and skin conditions. And uh, as I became a toddler and uh, then uh, into uh, my elementary years, uh, I-, I formed really bad, a really bad con- skin condition called psoriasis. Psoriasis is very much like uh, eczema, just a little different. Uh, and-, and what would happen, the skin would dry out so much that the skin would like fall off. Um, and-, and you would find uh, on my elbows and on my knees and those parts of my body where the skin was just really bad. And so, especially if I went out in the sun, it would be even worse. So uh, I became very self-conscious. So I would wear lots of long sleeves um, and uh, wouldn't want to show my psoriasis or anything like that. Well, uh, we tried everything. We went to doctors. And they prescribed all these different creams. Uh, we, we even went kind of tried to do the natural health route and tried to put on these different things. I had steroid creams and different psoriasis creams that we'd put on. But nothing worked at all. Nothing helped at all. And so by the time I was in my teenage years, I thought, well, that's just going to be my life. That's the way it's going to be. I'm going to have to put up with this for the rest of my life and apply cream on my body for the rest of my life. And then one uh, uh, December, it was early December, and my mother and myself, we went to a local craft show. Uh, and we went there and uh, uh, I went around to see if I could find any Christmas presents for, for my family that I would buy for my family. And we're walking around and uh, and. And, and my mother and myself stopped by this one vendor, uh, and this vendor is selling all honeycomb products. So everything is made out of honeycomb. And so they had all these different creams and everything. And then I spotted, I said, look, mom, they got a cream for psoriasis. And my mom says, well, why don't we buy it? We've tried everything else. Why don't we try this, see if this works at all? And I was just like, okay. And so we tried it, and I applied it, and it didn't smell the greatest, uh, I don't think. But didn't think of anything, applied it, and applied it like every day for about a week. And then I started noticing in the days and the weeks and the months, the psoriasis started getting less and less and less. And eventually, within a couple of months, my psoriasis are totally gone, and it never returned again. It was kind of shocking, and I'm like, who is that woman that sold that magic cream? Like, she needs to be on QVC or something, because she's going to make a fortune. Well, I've been through this long, long process of trying all these different things, thinking it's nothing ever is ever going to work. It's, that's just the way I act. And then suddenly one day I run into this cream and it's all gone. It was amazing. And a cream helped me and I found healing through this honeycomb cream. I wouldn't even know what it's called. Today. I, even, I can't even remember what it looks like. All I know, we applied it and the psoriasis went. Now my father, he also had a condition as well. And my father had a condition and it's called dystonia and it's a little like Tourette's except for it's not to do with your mouth, it's to do with movements of your body. And so my father, he had this little twitch in his neck. 
And he used to be a pastor, and sometimes you'd see him, and he would be twitching all the time while he's he, he's preaching. And uh, and 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 he and this formed, and it, it developed more and more the older he got. And he got to a point where it was really bad; it was twitching a lot. His neck was just twitching, and so he went to the doctor. And the doctor referred him to a specialist. So he went to London and he, went, he said he walked into this, uh, uh, this uh, um, waiting room at this specialist and he said he felt like a Ford because all these people had like huge twitches, you know. It's like really crazy movements of their body that was totally involuntary. Well, he went into the specialist and the specialist diagnosed him with this thing called dystonia. And he basically said there's no cure for it. He says, we, we can try to inject some, some, some things into your neck, he said, but it's dangerous and, and it's, it's not really going to help it that much. He said, you're just going to have to manage it. And the way that you manage it best is by trying to keep your stress down. And we all know how that goes, right? Trying to keep our stress down. It just wasn't manageable at all. And so my dad was in this hopeless situation. He didn't know what to do. And one day, he, he was a pastor of a church, and he was at a pastor's conference with all these pastors, and, and they were at this service, and they invited people to come for prayer. My dad said, you know what, I, I'm, I'm fed up of this, this twitch, this dystonia. It's affecting my life. Now it's getting worse and worse. I can't control it. So I'm going to go forward, and I'm going to ask for prayer. And he went and he, and he, 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 he asked for a few of, of the pastors, pastor's friends around him to pray for him. They laid hands on him. And they prayed, and he didn't feel anything. And he left that service that day. Well, in the days and the weeks and the months after that, he suddenly started realizing he wasn't twitching anymore. That this problem that was affecting his neck suddenly wasn't there anymore. He hadn't cut out any stress in his life. It wasn't there. And suddenly he realized, we prayed for this thing. And God healed him. And God healed me. And he said, the doctors couldn't do anything. There wasn't anything in medicine. Uh, only I could manage it. They, 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 gave, they could give me stuff to manage it, but they couldn't take it away. But suddenly they went to Jesus, and Jesus took it away. Which is an amazing thing. And sometimes life will throw you a curveball. You'll be going along normal in life and then suddenly you get hit with something like psoriasis or you get hit with, with a twitch that forms in your neck or, or, or maybe you get hit with an illness or a sickness or, or, or you go through an emotional struggle or, or you get hit with the, the loss of a job or, or, or even the death of a family member and, and life throws a curveball at you and when life throws a curveball at you, life can suddenly become very uncertain. In fact, when you start searching for answers and you don't find answers, you go through this moment in life that we often called hopelessness. And I don't know if any of you have gone through a moment in your life where you've ever been in a hopeless situation, but when you're in a hopeless situation, life is so uncertain. Maybe you've been to the doctor and you've just got some issue and the doctor just can't find out what's wrong with you. Or, or maybe you're just going through a cycle of bad fortune in your life and you can't seem to stop the cycle. And it's like life has thrown a curveball at you and life is uncertain. You feel hopeless. And if that's you, then I've got a word for you or a phrase. It's like life is a roller coaster. Right? 
You just don't know where life is going to take you. All you know, it's up and down and it's shaking all around. And you just don't know if you're going to go up, if you don't go down, if you're going to do a loop-the-loop. You just don't know. But life is like a roller coaster. So back in, in March, we took my son to Legoland in Florida. And uh, he, he likes Legos. And the good thing about Legoland, it's good for toddlers, you know, because there's lots of things they can go on. And there was one ride called the Dragon, which was a roller coaster. And he was just high enough to ride it. Now, my son, we've discovered, doesn't like heights. And he doesn't like going very high. He doesn't like things that are going to like surprise him. He likes to be calm and chilled. He's more of a lazy river guy than a roller coaster kind of guy. And, and so we see this roller coaster, and we're like, let's go on the, on the roller coaster. It's called the Dragon. Well, I had done a parent fail just before that because just before we said, let's go on the roller coaster, Raquel had said to me, she goes, oh, let's go on this ride over this. And it was one of those spinning ones that go round and round and round, right? And I, I said this in front of Evan, I can't go on that. I'm going to throw up if I go on that. Well, suddenly my son gets this word throw up in his mind. And he's thinking I'm talking about the dragon, the roller coaster. So we go on this roller coaster and all we hear, I don't want to go on this. I'm going to throw up. I'm going to throw up, my son keeps saying. And, and, and we're like, Evan, I was talking about the other ride. No, Dad, this ride I'm going to throw up. I'm like, you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine, son. And, and so we get in, into the roller coaster. We get on the ride and he's sitting right next to me. And he's like, Dad, I'm going to throw up. I want to get off. And so I'm like, no, son, we're talking about the other ride. This one's fine. It's easy. It's chill. Well, we go up and we go up and suddenly he starts looking around. And you know when you get to the top of the roller coaster and you've got that like moment that seemed like forever. It's like, is this thing ever going to take off? Well, suddenly he just looks at me and as it takes off, suddenly the fear in his on his face. He grabs hold of me as tight as he can and for 30 seconds, it's like life has gone out of control, right? He, the fear on his face is amazing. And as we get, as we stop at the bottom, the immediate thing he turns to me, he says, Dad, I told you I was going to throw up, right? And life is like that. Suddenly you don't want to get on the roller coaster, but unfortunately, life throws the roller coaster at you. The continual search for answers, the highs and the lows of life. That ultimately you desire to want to get off and just have some peace and tranquility. And the more you want peace and tranquility, often it's to no avail because the roller coaster keeps going and going and going. Ever felt like that in life? Well, I want to show you two stories of two people this morning who went through the roller coasters of life. Their stories are found in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. And we're going to start reading at verse 40. In fact, this story is found in the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Matthew, and the Gospel of Luke. But if you've got your Bibles, if you want to turn to Luke chapter 8, we'll, we'll center on Luke this morning. It says this, Luke chapter 8, verse 40. On the other side of the lake, the large, the large crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. There, a man named Jairus, the leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. 
As Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Let me just quickly turn back to Mark, Mark's account, Mark chapter 5. Because Mark gives us a little bit more information about these people. It says this in Mark 5 verse 24. It says, Jesus went with Jairus and all the people followed crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors. And over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay for them. But she had not gotten better. In fact, she had gotten worse. So Jesus is in a region in Israel or in Judah called the Lake of Galilee region. Jesus has just shown his disciples that he has the power to control the winds and the waves. They've just come off the boat where where the storm was so much and the disciples were so scared and Jesus has just calmed the storm. They come off the boat and Jesus walks up the hill and then he sees this crazy man. This man who is crazed living in a cave and it is determined he is demon possessed. In fact, he didn't have just one demon. He had multiple demons, maybe thousands of demons. They were called legion, which normally means about 10,000. And they had said to Jesus, the demons, "Don't, don't do anything to us. And Jesus says, well, get out of the man and go into this herd or this uh, 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 of, uh, of pigs. And so they leave the man, they go into the pigs, and the pigs run off the cliff, and then they die into the water. And so this is what the disciples have just seen Jesus do. They get back in the boat, and they go over to the other side of the lake. As they get to the other side of the lake, the crowds are there. They are swarming Jesus. They have heard of the power of Jesus. They have heard that Jesus can heal. They've heard that Jesus is this great teacher, and they want to come to see Jesus. And in the midst of the crowd, Jesus meets two types of people. Both of these people are in desperate need of something. They're in desperate need of Jesus. Their lives are desperate and they are running out of hope. One man, his name is Jairus, he is a local leader. And he is desperate for his daughter to live. For he has found out that she has been struck with an illness. And this illness cannot be cured. The doctors can't do anything with it. And she is on the verge of death. She is dying. And he doesn't know what to do. Now this man, he uses his cultural influence and his position to approach Jesus. So as a man, he is able to go up to another Jewish man and talk freely with that Jewish man. In that time, the women did not have that luxury. Then also, as a religious leader of the local synagogue, he had influence within the culture at the time, within that community. So he was able to come through the crowds and get to the front line in order to speak with Jesus. But there was a second person in this story. We don't know this person's name, but it was a woman who was hopeless and in desperate need because she had a physical issue that she thought would have been resolved by the doctors. 
But 12 years after going after test after test, doctor after doctor, spending money after money, the condition is not better. In fact, the condition is worse and she has run out of options. Due to her cultural position as a woman and her lack of influence, she does not approach Jesus face to face. In fact, she uses a different approach to come to Jesus. And she reaches out and she touches and tugs on his garments. Two problems, two very different responses we're going to see from Jesus. So let's take a look at the first problem. The first problem, I call it the unexpected shock. Almost like you are going up on the roller coaster and you're leisurely going up to the top and then suddenly the roller coaster jerks and life gets all out of control. And there are times when life is like that. And this was the case for this man, Jairus. Nothing can prepare you for the unexpected. And when his daughter becomes sick to the point of death, he does not know what to do. This man is very educated in the scriptures. He knows how to pray. He, he knows how to have faith in God, but for some reason, he is on his last rope. He hears that Jesus is in town. And remember, he was a leader of the local synagogue. He was a religious leader. And the religious leaders and the men over this man had become more and more anti-Jesus. Because Jesus was, the phrase, upsetting the apple carts. Jesus was going against the culture of the day and the religious leaders didn't like it. But Jairus is desperate. And in desperation, you throw out cultural stereotypes and protocol. Because you are desperate. And so using his cultural position as a man and his influence as a leader, he's able to come right up to Jesus and speak to Jesus face to face. And this is what he says to Jesus. Jesus, my daughter is sick. Please come to my home. And in his position, he invites Jesus to his house. And I would say, let Jairus be a model for us. When issues come in our life, no matter what the problem how big or how small, always come to Jesus. Invite him into your home. Growing up in the church that I, I, I attended as a young boy, we had a sign in our lobby and the sign said this. It said, prayer should be your first resource, not your last resort. Prayer should be your first resource, not your last resort. What that's saying is that come to Jesus first. Before things get out of control, before the roller coaster in life takes you on the loop, the loop, come to Jesus first. Don't wait till you've exhausted all of the options and then come to Jesus last. In fact, Philippians 4, 6 to 7 tells us this. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace. It's clear. Come to God in prayer. Come and ask Jesus to come into your home. Invite him into your home about everything. Not just about those moments when you are hopeless. 
And Jairus is showing us here how to approach problems, even when we are in moments of desperation. Bring your problems, issues, emotions, and situations to Jesus first. And invite him into your home. See, the standout invitation to Jesus is an invitation that Jesus will never reject. The first problem. The second problem is this. I call it the long, weary road. Well, life sometimes feels like the roller coaster and it's all out of control and you don't know where it's going. There are other times in life when your issues turn into the long struggle that lasts days, months, and even years. One of my favorite movies is one of those old classics, and it's called Train, uh, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Love that movie. About two guys trying to make their way home, and it's just taken a long time, and they find themselves on a plane, a train, and an automobile. It's just one of those funny movies, but sometimes our situations can feel like that. We think, oh, it's quickly going to be resolved, but it just takes forever. Back in 2006, my wife and myself had a wonderful chance to go to India. We're beautiful time in India and beautiful country. But on our way back, it took forever and ever and ever to get back. I didn't think we were ever going to make home. At one point, we were stuck on a Boeing 747 with wallpaper and a green TV screen for 20 hours. Went from Mumbai to Delhi, back from Delhi to Mumbai, back from Mumbai to Delhi, and then back to London. We thought we would never get home. We thought we were going to die in India somewhere. And sometimes life can be like that. And while Jairus is at the center stage, there is another person who is also in desperation. In fact, it's a woman who should not even be there. This woman should not even be in the crowd, for this woman has a medical condition that means she should be at home. If you've got your Bibles, if you want to turn to Leviticus chapter 15. Remember, the Bible says that this woman had a medical condition where she was bleeding nonstop for 12 years. Well, Leviticus chapter 15, starting at verse 19, says this. Whenever a woman has a menstrual period, she will be ceremonially unclean for seven days. Anyone who touches her during that time will be unclean until evening. Anything on which that woman sits or lies during that time uh, of her period will be unclean. If any of you touch her bed, you must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water and you will remain unclean until evening. If you touch any object she has sat on, you must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water and you will remain unclean until evening. This includes her bed or any other object she has sat on. You will be unclean until evening if you touch it. If a man has sexual intercourse with her and her blood touches him, her menstrual impurity will be transmitted to him and he will remain unclean for seven days and any bed on which he lies will be unclean. 
If a woman has a flow of blood for many days that is unrelated to her menstrual period, or if the blood continues beyond the normal period, she is ceremonially unclean. As during her menstrual period, the woman will be unclean as long as the discharge continues. Any bed she lies on and any object she sits on during that time will be unclean just as during her normal menstrual period. If any of you touch these things, you will be ceremonially unclean. You must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water and you will remain unclean until evening. When the woman's bleeding stops, she must count off seven days, then she will be ceremonially unclean. This was the Jewish law in which the people who lived in the time of Jesus all tried to adhere to. This woman has been bleeding nonstop for 12 years, which according to Jewish law makes this woman unclean. Anything that woman touches becomes unclean. Anything she sits on, it becomes unclean. The bed she lies in becomes unclean. And if you happen to touch her or she touches you, guess what happens? You become unclean unclean. That means she really must be housebound until the bleeding has stopped. But when you've been unclean for 12 years, there's something within you that starts to get desperate. And you say, forget this uncleanness. I need something to make me clean. And so this woman leaves the house because she hears that Jesus is around. This woman more than likely is not married because what man would be married to a woman who is continually unclean? She probably has no job because nobody would touch anything she has touched. It is certain she lives alone. She's unable to connect with her friends. And the fact that she is out in public pressing against the crowds is a huge violation of religious law and it is making everyone else in the crowd unclean. But she is desperate and Jesus is her last hope. And sometimes you just have to do what it takes to get to Jesus. Sometimes you have to just forget about all what anyone else says and do whatever it takes to get to Jesus. So she presses through the crowd and she touches Jesus' garment. What does that do to Jesus? It makes Jesus unclean. According to Levitical law, now Jesus must go and wash and bathe. And wait until the evening to become ceremonially clean. Two desperate people. Two ways to approach Jesus. One culturally correct, the other culturally incorrect. One socially acceptable, one socially unacceptable. But what I love about Jesus is this. He doesn't just respond to people who are polite and do things the proper way. In fact, Jesus responds to the desperate hearts. 
It is those who have desperate faith that stand out to him. So let's continue reading and see what happened after this woman touches Jesus' garment. Luke 8, 44 says this. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately the bleeding stopped. I mean, think how bad this bleeding must be for her to immediately notice that it stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. Everyone denied it. And Peter says, Master, this whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, someone deliberately touched me for I felt healing power go out of me. Notice this. Jesus didn't feel the uncleanness. He didn't feel the sin. He felt the power of faith. He felt the healing. Let's carry on. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd her explained why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. So now... This woman has not just violated religious law and touched Jesus and made Jesus unclean. Now she's told everyone else about it. So now everybody else knows that Jesus is unclean and they probably are unclean as well. But notice what Jesus does. Jesus does not address her uncleanness. Verse 48, daughter, Jesus said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And when we come to Jesus, it's not our sin that Jesus is responding to. It's our faith. It's not our issues or our problems or our emotions or our sicknesses that Jesus responds to. He says, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Verse 49, while he was speaking to her, a messenger arrived from the house of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. He told him, your daughter is dead. There is no use troubling the teacher now. But when Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith and she will be healed. When they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, James, and the little girl's father and mother. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing, but he said, stop the weeping. Ever felt like that in your house, those who have kids? Stop the weeping. She isn't dead, she's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him. Because they all knew she had died. Then Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, My child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned and she immediately stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were overwhelmed, but Jesus insisted, Don't tell anyone what happened. Yeah, right, Jesus. In both these situations, we see healing. But noticed in both these situations what it was that caused Jesus to heal. It was faith. It was faith. The woman touched Jesus, making Jesus unclean. 
And maybe you think you are too unclean for Jesus. Maybe you think your sin is too much for Jesus. Or maybe you think you don't have enough faith for Jesus. But it's not your sin that Jesus is concerned with. It's not your situation that Jesus is concerned with. It's not even how boldly you approach Jesus that Jesus is concerned with. Jesus is concerned with the desperate cry of a heart just to reach out and grab hold of him. That is what he longs for. That is what he loves. It's amazing out of how out of a hole of desperation, how our faith can rise. And as the woman is freed from her 12-year unclean prison, the message comes that Jairus' daughter is dead. Maybe if Jesus had hurried up, maybe if Jesus hadn't concerned himself with his unclean woman, he would have been able to get to the house and maybe the daughter wouldn't have died. But death does not stop Jesus. And he proceeds to Jairus' house. And as he gets to the house, he says to Jairus, Jairus, just have faith. Just have faith. They get to the house. And it's almost got like a comical situation. Because the professional mourners have already got there. There were professional mourners in Israel at this time. People whose job it was to go to the home of the dead and mourn. Normally there was three of them. And there would be two flute players playing the flute. But then there was also one person who their job was to wail. To mourn, to cry exuberantly. Anyone else want that job, right? That's my job in life. I can just cry. I'm like, we got some kids in kids' church who can just go and do that, you know? That's their job. And Jesus gets there and the professional mourners are already there. And as Jesus sees the mourner, he walks right past them. And he says, James, John, and Peter... Jairus and your wife, come with me. See, it's not the severity of the situation that Jesus is concerned with. It is the desperate cry of faith from Jairus' heart. I find it interesting that Jairus had faith in Jesus. Jairus heard that his daughter was dead. It was the end. It was over. She couldn't be healed anymore. She was dead. Most people would have said, okay, Jesus, thanks for the consideration. I'm going to go home and mourn with my family, get, get ready for the funeral. But that's not what happens. He decides to still believe in Jesus, even though the end had come. He still believed. It reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew 19, 26. He said this, humanly speaking, it is impossible But with God, everything is is possible. And for this situation, it was an impossible situation. She was dead, but he still believed in Jesus. Two stories of desperate faith. Two people who stood out before Jesus. Two answers to prayer. And while this series has all been about standing out to the world for Jesus, shining a light for Jesus, today it's about standing out before Jesus. Because it is through your faith that you stand out to Jesus. The Bible says that without faith it's impossible to please God. 
and notices the woman, the unclean woman, touched Jesus. Jesus was not mad that she was unclean. Jesus was pleased that she had faith. When the, when the girl died, Jesus was not upset that the girl had died. He was pleased because Jairus had faith. And maybe you found yourself on the roller coaster of life like Jairus, when life suddenly has changed pace and it's gone up and down. Or maybe you are stuck in a prison like the woman with the bleeding issue. You are beside yourself and you've tried everything. Or maybe you're like the woman 12 years ago who thought everything would be fine. I'm just going to go to the doctor. I've just got a little issue. Wherever you find yourself, the solution is always found in coming to Jesus. For it takes faith to come to him. He sees your faith. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads in prayer this morning. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, Hebrews 4.16 tells us this. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There you will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it the most. And this morning, I'm going to ask you to do something bold this morning. I'm going to ask you to come boldly to the throne of grace. So in a moment... Just before we close out this service, we're going to partake in communion this morning. In a remembrance of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and coming again. Because Jesus gave life, you have life. So I'm going to ask you in a moment to get out of your seats and just come and take of the bread and take of the wine and the juice as a symbol and a remembrance of what Jesus has done. Jesus not only died for your sins, Jesus died so that you could have life and life to the full. And so as as a matter of celebration and coming to Jesus in faith for what Jesus has done, I'm going to ask you in a moment to come out of your seats and just come and take of communion. But if you're in this place today, and you're in a gyrus situation or you're in a situation like the woman who has been on a long journey and not known what to do or maybe you've just got some simple things in your life that you need prayer for in this moment after you've come and taken communion I'm just going to ask you to come if you want prayer this morning if you want us to pray for you then just to come to just the front here and just stand at the front and we will pray for you. The Bible tells us in James that if anyone is sick amongst you, then call for the elders of the church and they will come and lay hands on you. They will pray the prayer of faith and you will be healed. And we believe that this morning. So I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Chris and myself and we will pray for you. We'll anoint you with oil this morning if you want prayer. And we're going to believe and pray the prayer of faith over you. And pray that God will be with you and God will deliver you and there will be a breakthrough in your life. So Father God, this morning we thank you for all that you've done, Lord, as we now come to your table. And we come and just take of this bread and come and take of this juice. We do it in faith for all that you have done. All that you are currently doing. 
and all that you are yet to do. We remember the incredible life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And we look forward to the second coming of Jesus. But while we're in this moment, God, we celebrate you. And we thank you for the life, the resurrection life there is in you. We thank you that you don't look at our uncleanness, but you respond to our faith. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray.